0: We are so, so excited to have every one of you with us this morning. What an amazing day it was. Last Sunday, we had nine who made the decision to follow Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Put your hands together and give Him praise. We we start a new series today. Uh, By the way, my name is Michael. If you're a guest this morning, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, As my wife already said, a lot of great churches in West Memphis Marion you could have chosen, and we're honored that you've come to be. Uh, in worship with us today. If you are a smartphone kind of person, uh, we want to point you to this particular URL right here, bible.us and then the slash. There is a, a live site there called YouVersion. UVersion is an excellent app on any of your iPhone or Android products uh, that you can jump on there and do a Bible reading program uh, for as long as you want. Stretch it out three years, two years, one year, down to 90 days. You can read through the New Testament in 30 Read through the New Testament over three months. There are all kinds of programs that are great in every translation that is available to man. I think there are probably 30 or more that are in English alone. So if you find one that you really feel like you can grab and understand, we encourage you to, to jump in there. We've gone live with this site here at Victory where you actually have everything in your message notes and all of the scriptures already there. It will take you through the app and it points you... When you just come down the next place in the outline with me, along with me, you will have uh, the scripture right there. All you have to do is just click on it. It'll take it to you in the app itself. And so we're excited to do that. We're only one of two churches in the whole Memphis metro area that's doing it. There's one over in Memphis, and then we're right over here in little old West Memphis, Arkansas, using the UVersion app. So uh, if you received your message notes this morning, I just want to point out very briefly how thankful I am for Alex Blankenship and Billy Altman, who together provide our uh, some of our graphic arts work, and what a beautiful job that they depicted here. And when I told them what I wanted, I said, we're starting this series on the Gospel of Mark, and I really want to kind of take off on this idea of the mark, on his mark. We're talking about the mark of Jesus, and X marks the spot, kind of on your mark, get set, go, so to speak. But X is also the first Greek letter in the word Christ. It's the Greek character Kai. Um, I'm, I'm going to chase a rabbit for a second. For those of you who see Christmas with an X, they're not xing Christ out x has been the symbol for Christ for 2000 years so it that literally means christmas okay and sometimes christian get all up christians get all up in arms over nothing and a little bit of understanding would help us before we kind of make ourselves look like you know <laughs> Idiotes is the greek word i want to use there <laughs> i'll let you draw the the english conclusion um, but alex added a great little And that's that little spatter of blood there where Jesus shed one drop of blood, I believe, is enough to, to pay the price for the universe. And so this morning as we begin, we have one key text. I'd like you to, if you want to look in your message notes or find a screen, whatever's comfortable for you to find, would you stand with me one more time? We're going to read this text together as we honor the word of the Lord. This is the very key verse of the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We're launching this new series today, kicking it off together. So find a screen and read out loud with passion, heartily with me this morning. Here we go. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Jesus Christ, thank you for your amazing gift that you are to us. Father, thank you that you sent your uniquely begotten Son. Thank you that the Holy Spirit now has come and He's resident in this place and we acknowledge Him and we just ask you to open our ears, help us to understand, open our eyes, help us to see and perceive. It's you, O Lord, alone who can do this. You're the only real teacher, Holy Spirit, and we ask you to do what only you can do in this place. Lord, save a sinner, transform a broken life. Lord, put a marriage back together, reconcile. Lord, a relationship heal a wound. Thank you that the gospel does every bit of that and then some. And we thank you, Jesus, that we serve not just a Savior who died for us, but who is alive today as we celebrate this Easter season that we're still in. Thank you, Jesus, that it is by your life that our future is secured. We're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory in this place. None to us. It's all to you, Jesus. And it's in that name that we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We have begun a really, really good series that I'm excited about on Thursday nights. This is the workbook for it. We don't sell anything around here. If you'll commit to get involved in the next five weeks, we'll give you a copy of this. This is Rick Warren's 40 Days in the Word. Uh, Thursday nights, 6.30, as my lovely wife just shared with you. Uh, Dr. Rick Warren wrote that a number of years ago. And so we are excited to share a few moments together in a video that is instructive and teaching, and then we break up into small groups. I want to tie this in each week with what we're learning on Thursday night into the Sunday morning message that I'm going to be bringing uh, as we do this series in the Gospel of Mark. And our pastoral team will be ministering this. I've I've got it this month in, in April kicking this thing off. And so this morning as we begin, we look back to Thursday night. And those of you who weren't here, it's very simple. He taught what he called the pronounce it method because the Bible teaches the importance of of meditation, biblical meditation, which is just the idea of ruminating, thinking about uh, tossing something over and over and in your mind, sort of chewing on it the way the cow does the grass and then back and forth between all the stomachs. It's not a pleasant... um, illustration, but that is the honest to goodness, very best illustration to what the Bible word meditation means. It means to chew. And so we're chewing on this word of the Lord. So as we do that, he taught us this method. It's in your notes. It's called the let's pronounce it method. Okay. And so what, what he did was he showed us that if we would take one word at a time, say it out loud, emphasize that one word, that we would be able to see and understand clearly what the word is saying to us. 1979, I started my freshman year at college at Arkansas State University and I made a commitment to the Lord in August, middle of the month, bowed on my knees in my bedroom at the front of the bedroom of 300 South Center where I grew up and I made a, a a turn. I repented of some stuff that I had been doing as my in my junior and senior year and I was hungry for God to see him do something new in my life and I made a commitment that I was going to to be a committed man of God and a person of the word at 18. And God caused the scripture just to explode out of the book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 that says being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so God was saying to me in all of your nonsense as a teenager I never left you, I love you, I was with you even in your foolishness and your craziness and I've started to work in you and I'm not going to let you go Michael Smith until I finish with you what I've called you to do and I felt... I felt the shepherd's hook of God around my neck and I bowed on my knees and I wept and I cried out to God and I made a commitment that I was going to start my freshman year of college and not do the whole sex, drugs and rock and roll thing and the fraternity thing that everybody else was going to be doing. And I got into the word and the word exploded in me and I got hungry for it. I couldn't put it down. I was sitting up uh, literally with my light burning in my dorm room at 3 o'clock in the morning, put, reading the Bible, not out of some sense of obligation, but I got so hungry for it, I couldn't get enough of it. God lit a fire down on the inside of me, and I said, God, I want it. And he said, okay, I'm going I'm to sling it on you, man. And when you get it, it's going to hit you hard. And by the end of that year, I had read through the whole Bible, and I had read through the New Testament twice. I read through both Old and New Testaments by the end of the school year in May. And and, and I would go out of my dorm room every day with a three by five card because I knew the importance of getting the word in my heart. Because if I had it inside my heart, it was a well from which the Holy Spirit could begin to draw something that would refresh me. Because that's how God speaks to you. He will draw up what you have already put on the inside of you there and use it to speak to you, to lead you, to guide you. I'd put a scripture on a three by five card and walk to class and I'd head out and in between classes, if I were on a long stretch, maybe on the sidewalk there in the campus, then I would read the scripture aloud. and I would emphasize one word at a time. And the next time I would read through the scripture and emphasize the next word. When I heard Rick Warren say this Thursday night, I was so excited because nobody ever taught me to do that. I just sort of came up, you know, no pastor ever said, try this. And I just sort of came up with it on my own. And then to hear somebody of the stature of Dr. Rick Warren teaching this as a method to get the word in your heart, it just so excited me to say, you know, the Holy Ghost is our teacher. He just showed me what to do. And I believe God can do that in your life and as well as mine or anybody else's. Come on, put your hand together. So this is what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna do this seven times, and they're going to be phrases that we're gonna emphasize. But we want you to say it with us. Here we go. For even the Son of Man, read all of it, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Son of Man is one of the important phrases in the New Testament, real, speaking to, and it's used in the Old Covenant as well, pointing to a God-man who was going to come, a Mashiach, Hebrew word for Messiah. Greek word is the word Christ or the anointed one. This son of man who is both man and God, this Emmanuel, the incarnation of God in the flesh, we read this phrase son of man and it's capitalized because it's not just any son or any man, but it's the son of man. Everybody say it heartily. The son of man. For even the son of man came. This is God himself. Everybody say God himself. All right, next one. We'll just go to the word that's darkened and emphasized and stop there. Here we go. For even the son of man came. Now notice God didn't just stay on his throne and speak the word or send a commandment or or drop a book down from the sky with some guidelines, but God himself came. He showed up. The Son of Man came, came down to the planet, walked among us, took on flesh in human form just like you and me. He moved up into the hood is what Eugene Peterson's message translation says in John One fourteen. the word became flesh and he moved into the neighborhood so we could see how he lived and how he talked and how he acted and the way he spoke and the way he treated people. Even the Son of Man came, now get the next one. Here we go, read with me. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. Now this is so amazing because every other religion demands that you lay down your life for its God. But this is backwards. This is an upside down kingdom. God Himself showed up to demonstrate His love for us and He reversed the roles not to be served. Next phrase, here we go. For even, so Read it with me. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Greek word diakonos. We get the English word deacon from it. A deacon is someone who is a ministering servant. It's like the person uh, that greets you at the door in a Hebrew household who is the lowest of all the servants, and he gets on his knees, and he washes the feet of the guests, and he takes the towel that was wrapped around him, and he dries the feet of the guests. This is what Jesus is saying. I didn't come to be served, but I came to be your diaconate. I came to be your deacon. I came to be your servant. I came to minister to you, to pour my life out for you. Read on with me. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Wow. All other religions demand that you be willing to lay down your life for its God. But the Christian religion is entirely different. As a matter of fact, I don't even like to use Christian and religion in the same phrase because Christianity is not as much a religion as it is a relationship. Now, you can make it a religion. There are folks all the way up and down church row who are thinking in terms of religious rules and laws and have lost the life-giving connection between them and this This servant of servants who came to lay down his life. He came to give his life. Every other religion will demand that you sacrifice your life for its God. But what's crazy about Christianity is that the God of Christianity came and sacrificed his life for you. To give his life. Read on. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. ransom." We have a lot of law enforcement in our congregation. You guys have dealt with kidnap situations. You, we watch it. We all see NCIS and, and Law and Order and all these things that romanticize how this stuff really happens and the guys that are really in the trenches. We need to pray for our lawmen, our sheriffs and deputies and, and policemen, patrolmen and all of these folks in our community. By the way, we're going to be having our big outreach in May, May 17th, where we're going to serve all of our first responders, firemen, policemen from West Memphis Marion, EMTs, uh, sheriff's Department, Highway Patrol, uh, State Troopers—all those guys that are out there serving, pastoring the highways, and pastoring our communities and our counties. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. We'll serve them a meal like we did last year, and we hope to have you help us. They lay down their lives for us. Jesus came to give His life as a ransom. He paid some blood money. It's—it's it's a suitcase full of hundred-dollar bills. It's a bag of diamonds. It's a bar of gold. No, it's not any of those things. It's his precious blood which bought you with a price. He paid the ransom for you. One more time. This is the seventh time and we're done. Read with me. Here we go. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The many are those that have been held hostage to the slavery of sin. And Jesus Christ has come to pay the ransom to give his life, to reverse the roles, not to be served, but to serve. Everything that I just showed you, you can grab hold of that by just doing the pronounce it method of Bible study. Well, you stop and you ponder for a moment what that one word in the middle of all of this thing means. And as we look at the summary this morning, the summary says this. God himself became a man and showed up to demonstrate his love by reversing the roles, serving and sacrificing himself, and paying the price for those held hostage to the slavery of sin. You can get out of the word what I just got out of the word and showed you how. When you practice this, let's pronounce it. Method, And I believe what is so amazing is what you just got out of those few words for even the Son of Man came not to to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many is an encapsulation of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we open the gospel of Mark, we want to ask the very simple question, what is the gospel? Why are these four books called gospels? Why do we have four of them? Those are the two questions we want to answer this morning. What is the gospel? Before I answer the question, what is the gospel, I want to differentiate between the gospel and religion because religion offers you advice. It is a self-help program. It is a list of seven things to a better life. It is... It is a list of, of, of 10 ideas or 10 suggestions. It is, a, it, is a, it is a program where if you will do these things and you will start to uh, mold yourself after your mentor, whatever the religion that you may be following. Religion only offers you advice. It is kind of a self-help program. And what you realize one day is that you are never, ever good enough. You can't. Dot the I's appropriately and cross the T's and get all the duck quacking ducks in a row and turn over all your leaves, break all the bad habits and establish all the good ones. You can't do enough of that. I cannot do enough of that. I must recognize that the unique thing about Christianity is that The relationship of Christianity does not offer any advice. It brings me this thing called gospel. And the gospel is news. Religion offers advice. The gospel brings me news. News. The word gospel literally means good news. News is something that has happened. Advice is something that you still have to do. You choose to put it into play. It is self-help. It's a program. It's, it's 30 days to abs that pop. <laughs> it, it's $29.95 to your road to becoming a millionaire at the 3 o'clock in the morning infomercials. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's 10 ways to a better relationship and the best marriage on the planet. And You know, it, it, the, the, the middle of the night infomercials when you flip on and you're over there in the high channels on your cable and you're looking at those things and, and laughing at those things, they're really a whole lot like the old religion snake oil salesman that promised you that this particular lotion will beautify or this particular tonic will invigorate And in the very same way, religion comes to you and offers this advice. And when you've tried this and tried this and tried all of these different kinds of programs, sometimes you finally come to the realization that there is nothing in me, in myself, that has any of the ability to create this kind of a state of perfection that everything in front of me seems to be screaming that I have to have. Whether it's the appearance of the female on uh, the, the cover of the magazine or, or the, the success that is, the man is supposed to have as the provider in the home. Religion can give you all that advice, but finally one day you realize, I cannot do this. The Apostle Paul says, Jesus Christ has came to save sinners of which I am the chief. And Jesus entrusted the Apostle Paul with the gospel. When William Tyndale, who was translating the scriptures into the English language in the 1300s, chose a word... This is where this has come to bear in our understanding as English-speaking American people having an English heritage prior to us. Tyndale laid his life on the line and he was translating the scriptures into the Anglo-Saxon language. He wanted to choose a word for this euangelion down there. You see the Greek. It's, we get the word evangelism or the evangel. And it's this idea of not only the message alone but the herald who is carrying it, this amazing message. And so he chooses a word that's a common everyday street term for the town crier who says, Hear ye, hear ye. And he declares what the news is. And the news is not just what you're going to see when you go home and you flip on TMZ and J-Lo broke up with whoever and Brangelina are no longer a couple. And Access Hollywood and all of the things that you watch between 6.30 and 7 o'clock during the week before your favorite programs come on. It's not that kind of news. It's not gossipy, kind of the latest little whatever Yahoo says. But this news, this gospel that Tyndale translates and gives us this word gospel literally is history-making, life-changing, earth-shaking news. Geleon, Greek word that you see there, literally appears in some of the histories of Herodotus, the father of history, a historian who gave us the, uh, the history of the Persians. We, we read concerning Augustus, the great Caesar, who, who was the nephew, the grand-nephew of, of Julius Caesar. Augustus was on the throne of the Roman Empire at the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. What it makes Christianity so amazing is that it is not just... A few ideas surrounding a mythical person. But Christianity is firmly rooted in history. Jesus Christ, God himself, came and showed up and became a man. And we have history. We have a whole land over there called Israel with artifacts and archaeological evidence that points to all of these things that we believe 2,000 years later isn't just some nice idea. Jesus Christ is real. Put your hands together and give him praise this morning. there were histories that were produced called the Gospel of Augustus. And it was the earth-shaking, history-making news of the wars that had been run, one, under the Principate of Augustus, who was the Caesar at the time in the Roman Empire. So this is a huge term, you And so when Tyndale translates it into English, he gives us this word gospel. And it's it's not just daily news, but it's history-making, life-changing Universe altering news. It's news. Religion says, do. Take this list of advice, these points, these 10 steps, these five ideas, and self help your way into a better life. And you know that it's not possible. The gospel is the good news, not of what you do, but what Jesus has done. It is accomplished, it is finished. Come on, put your hands together and give him praise. It's not advice. It's not self-help. It's the fact that we are helpless and I desperately need God. I fall completely on his, on my face before Him. And He says, you know what? Every religion on the planet has some kind of system of karma that you get back what you did. It's the law of physics for every action. There's an opposite and equal reaction. What goes around comes around. Scripture calls it the law of sowing and reaping. But the the amazing thing about this gospel of Jesus Christ as we open up and introduce this gospel of Mark this morning on his mark, it's about this amazing idea that Jesus comes along and he totally drives a stake in this whole circle of karma, of law of sowing and reaping. Mm. Got some beat going. Everybody take your phone out and turn it off, please. Help me right now. he, He drives a wedge in it. And he gives us this thing called grace, where he says, Your past is covered, your sins are forgiven. They're not only forgiven, but they're forgotten. And you're serving a God who knows everything, but yet he says, I don't remember your sins anymore. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's good news. That's history making, life changing, universe altering news. That is the UN Galleon, that's the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. It changes your life. It's news of what something has already happened. He's already done it. Religion says do. Jesus says done. It is finished. Look with me quickly please to the question. Why do we have four Gospels? We've got these four guys who wrote. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Two of them were direct disciples of Jesus. Two of them came in later. Matthew and John, if you look at them like bookends on the end, Matthew, his name was Levi. He was a tax collector. Jesus changed his name to gift of God, Matthew. John is the one who leaned his head on Jesus' breast. and He has a revelation of the heartbeat of God. He writes a gospel that is absolutely phenomenal, very different from the first three. The first three are what we call the synoptic gospels. Syn, S-Y-N. Not S-I-N like to miss the mark or to transgress, or to have iniquity, to make a mistake, to be sinful. It's not that kind of sin, S-I-N, but it's S-Y-N. Everybody say sin. Synoptic. Sin. So sin means together, like a synthesizer or a synthesis that brings something together. Optic. What do you see in the word optic? Optic. What, what, where, where, what, what, what do I have on right here? Glasses. Glasses. Optics are to see. So Synoptic means the Gospels that see together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are when you sit down to read through the New Testament and you go, wait a minute, I just read about this a few days ago. And that's when you read Matthew and you turn around and you see the same thing again in Mark. And then you keep reading and then the same story shows up again in Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us the same stories. Many, many times, sometimes with different details in the same way that someone on the scene of an accident, an officer would ask everybody standing there as an eyewitness and he's not just taking the word of one, but he takes all of them and puts those things together because one person saw something that the other one missed. That's the reason sometimes Mark will share something that Matthew didn't include and Matthew will share something that Luke didn't say because they're all seeing this from a different perspective in the same way that if you guys go out and describe this service, there probably would be 25 or 30 different things that stand out in your mind. Someone was touched by this song. Someone else was impacted by the sharing of the communion, the Lord's table this morning. Somebody else, if they're to describe this service, may be something that God spoke to you from the time of this message. And it was personal to you, entirely different than what the Lord said to this sister over here or this brother over here. So every one of you are eyewitnesses to this service this morning, but you may go out of here sharing uniquely different details concerning it because that's something that impacted you and you picked up on and you saw. So these Gospels are not in any way contradictory. They may at times bring different details in the same way that four people stand out here and see a collision right out here on the service road and those four may pick up on unique details. They're going to be general details that are all going to be the same but some of them are, will have seen some things that are unique that the other three didn't see. This happens with these four Gospels. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And I just want to ask the question why do we have four gospels? Well, I believe there's this, this whole thing of the prophetic direction of God, the will of the Lord that gets revealed. And we sort of back up and do a flashback over into the Old Testament into a book called Ezekiel, a prophet of God during the time uh, of the um, what's the word I'm looking for? They are carried away into captivity into Babylon. So it was during the Babylonian captivity. When Ezekiel is prophesying out there in the fields and he sees a vision, he has this wide open view of what literally sounds like a science fiction kind of movie. It is Ray Bradbury, it is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, it's Star Wars, uh, the, the prequel. I mean, it's amazing what Ezekiel is seeing because he's seeing these creatures with a wheel within a wheel and they have all of these different kinds of faces. It looks like the bar scene in Star Wars. Have you seen that? Okay, so read with me to Ezekiel. And it says, As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. Everybody say the face of a man. That's what the other translations say. The ESV says a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. The four had the face of an eagle. And so we're describing these, what the Bible calls cherubs, which are angelic creations of God. And an angel is the word agalos, which means messenger. It's part of that word euangelion, which means gospel. An angel is a messenger of God. He is a herald of God's message. So these cherubs that are in the presence of God have all four faces. On one side, the face of a man. On another side, the face of an eagle. On another side, the face of an ox. On another side, the face of a lion. And so they're turning. Now this is not just some kind of crazy dream Ezekiel had too many beans out there in the field and he woke up in the middle of the night and saw something wildly indescribable. This is picked up again by the writer of Revelation. The guy who writes the gospel of John gives this to us in the book of Revelation chapter 4. Chapter 4 we see people worshiping around the throne of God. And we see the same description that we see in Ezekiel chapter 1 over here in Revelation 4. It says, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. So we have man, lion, ox, eagle. Now, it just so happens that these correspond to four lead tribes... In the nation of Israel, there were 12 tribes. Israel had 12 sons. Remember, let's back up with a little bit of Old Testament Hebrew history. God visits a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah are barren. 25 years later, Isaac is born. Isaac has uh, a couple of boys, Esau and Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God in Genesis 32, and God changed Jacob's name to Israel. He has 12 sons. They become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Are you following me? Of these 12 tribes, they head into the wilderness. We've got the tabernacle of Moses out there with all the holy furniture in it and the brazen altar and the brazen laver and all of these pieces that have some picture of the ministry and the nature of Jesus. And it's out there in this tent and they're, they're camping in a certain kind of formation out here in the middle of the wilderness. And you have, th- you have the tents of meeting and you have three tribes camping to the south and three tribes to the east and three tribes to the west and three tribes to the north. And if you stand on a mountain, you look into the valley where the whole nation of Israel, after having left Egypt, delivered by the blood in the water, they they'd smeared the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and they're out there now in the wilderness. They've been set free from Egypt and from Pharaoh. And they're dwelling in their their encampments. And you look at them at night with the campfires and you literally see a blazing cross in the middle of the valley because they're camped. Three tribes to the south, three tribes to the north, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west, all camped in regimental fashion around that tent of meeting. And it's a picture thousands of years before Jesus Christ comes as Yeshua HaMashiach and He hangs on a cross. The whole nation is in formation of a cross. They're in the wilderness. And you've got the lead tribes that are right next to the tent of meeting. And every one of those 12 tribes had a signal or an insignia. They had a banner that they rode under that their tribe would follow their leader. The very same way that the nation of America has the stars and stripes. The very same way that England has the Union Jack. A nation has its symbol, has its flag, unfurls its banner. Every tribe had its banner. And those that were the nearest to all of those four points on the compass, north, south, east, and west, camping right next to the tabernacle of the the place of the presence of God, you find every one of their banners had those symbols, a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. They were the the witnesses to the presence of God in the tent of meeting. And so what we see here is that we have a picture prophesying in Ezekiel of four voices that are going to come and give us four descriptions of the nature of Jesus Christ. When we take a moment to look at this chart this morning, if you would take your notes and look with me, please. We see in Matthew that it's the face of the lion, The lion is depicted in Matthew. Why is that? Why do you say that? How do you draw that conclusion, Pastor Michael? The the, the lion symbol is an idea of dominion. It's the principle of kingship. The lion is called the what? The king of the jungle. He is the, the king of the beasts. He exercises authority and dominion. When he roars, the rest of the jungle listens. Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. When Matthew wrote the gospel of, that's named after him, he wrote specifically for the purpose of convincing the Jewish people that this was their Yeshua HaMashiach who had finally shown up. He is the king of the Jews. You will see the phrase when you read Matthew. You will see king of the Jews repetitively throughout the gospel of Matthew. Now, what's this whole thing about? It literally shows Jesus as the picture of the king of kings. The phrase that appears there is the king of the Jews. Let's skip over Mark because that's the one that we're going to be introducing today and kicking off this series. We'll be in the gospel of Mark for about a year probably. Jump over to Luke. Luke, the two middle ones, Mark and Luke were not direct disciples. They were brought into a relationship with Jesus by those who had been eyewitnesses. Mark was discipled by the apostle Peter. Luke was led to Christ and into a relationship through the apostle Paul. Both of these are great writers who provide some amazing details for us. When Mark writes, and we'll talk about it in a moment, let's jump over to Luke. Luke is a physician. He is a doctor. He's a medical doctor. And so he is consumed with this Jesus the man. It just so happens to be that the symbol that is linked with the gospel of Luke is this symbol found in Ezekiel and Revelation, this symbol of a man. And it's the picture. The face of a man is the face of compassion, Jesus Christ, who was God above all gods came down and became man of very man and God and man in the flesh showed His compassion by reversing the roles, by laying down His life for us unlike the other religions of the world that demand that all of their adherents sacrifice their lives for that God. Luke wrote his gospel to a very particular group. He wanted to convince the Greeks that were all about perfection. They were in the throes right at this time when Jesus was on the planet and He had ascended, He had already been resurrected. Luke, the physician, the doctor, was writing. He's talking about and look down at the bottom. He uses the phrase over and over and over again, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. It's the most appearing phrase in the Gospel of Luke. And he's consumed with the idea of a perfect man. The Greeks during this period in history had Olympics blazing. And it was all about perfecting the musculature of the athlete. It was about showing the perfect man in his perfect form, in the throwing of the javelin, in, 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 the, in the contest in the Colosseum, in the Olympic decathlon, in the marathon, and all of these things that the Apostle Paul uses, all of that athletic imagery too in the Bible of boxing and wrestling and, and fighting and, and all of that particular military kind of warrior kind of an attitude, that very manly kind of a gospel that in so many places in America these days is not even preached anymore. So many preachers have just wimped out. It just wears me out because the gospel has some, has some teeth to it. There's some warrior aspect to it. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus is the perfect man. Look at the gospel of John. John is a disciple of Jesus, and he shows us this picture of the conquering eagle. We are not to be like little chill, little chickens pecking around in the barnyard with our with our attitude and our vision looking down, trying to just make our lives, the ends meet, but and screaming the sky is falling like Chicken Little is. But when the storm clouds begin to brew, the eagle is not threatened by them. The chickens are scurrying all over the place because the storm can tear up whatever shelter they have. But the eagle has the ability to lock its wings in place And what tears up stuff on the earth literally lifts the eagle up above the storm because he's born to conquer. And that's a picture of you as a believer. John takes seven sign miracles, very specifically, very different than the synoptic gospels. He takes them to show seven critical truths that are earth-shaking, life-changing, history-making in the lives of the believers. Gospel of Mark. This is where we're zeroing in this morning as I bring this message down to a close. Mark Literally takes this example of the ox, the burden bearer. It is the only sacrificial animal in the list. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the ox sheds his blood, lays down his life. The ox is the burden bearer in life, he is the sin bearer in death. This is a picture of Jesus. It's the face of submission. The the Gospel of Mark was written specifically to the Romans and it reads literally like a screenplay. What's so exciting about it is that it moves rapidly from one thing to another. It didn't say, and it immediately, and they were at the other side. And you're seeing all of these amazing feats. Jesus opens the can on the devil in this gospel. It is amazing. And I love it and I'm excited to open it and begin to preach it to you. But I wanted to give you a big overview of these four and how they all come together and they each show us some details that the other one might not have emphasized. Mark gives us the picture. It uses the word serve and servant over and over and over in the gospel again. And it gives us this idea of Jesus who is the servant of servants. In Matthew, he's the king of kings. and Mark, he's the servant of servants In Luke, he's the perfect man. In John, he's the perfect God. Son of man, son of God. Ox, eagle, lion, man. These four faces give us this amazing depiction, this picture of who Jesus is. He is king, but he's also servant. He is perfect in man without sin, but he is God in every sense of the word. One of those alone does not adequately describe who this Jesus is. And this gospel that we're here talking about, that we're singing... And so when I, when I join my praise with Bernie this morning and I say, there is no one like our God. There is no one higher, Christ our Savior. It takes a lion that is the king. It takes an ox that is a servant and a burden bearer. It takes a perfect man and a perfect God. And all of these to come together And four different eyewitness accounts on the scene of the event. And for the historian to look and say, what did you see? This is what I saw. And Matthew gives his testimony. I don't believe when we look at the book of Revelation that this literally means that there are strange creatures flying around the throne of God somewhere in a physical place in the universe. I believe that that's a picture symbolically, metaphorically of what these four heralds. You and They are heralding a message. One with the roar of a lion. One with the screech of an eagle. One with the heart cry of a man. And another one with the very demonstration of the love of God Himself. Every one of them, lion, ox, man, eagle, and they're all crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And they're around the throne as Mark gives his message, as Matthew declares he's the king, as Mark shows that he's the servant, as, as John shows that he is the perfect God, the Son of God, as, as Luke shows that he's the perfect man, the Son of Man, every one of them are establishing the throne, the lordship of Jesus Christ in the earth saying, Holy, holy, holy is this Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the history-making, earth-shaking, life-changing gospel of God. That's what those four creatures are doing. That's what these four books are saying. And they're sitting there alive on that that folded piece of leather sitting on your coffee table. And it, it, it won't do anything as long as it's sitting there. But if you'll open it up and you'll start to pronounce it and get it down on the inside of your heart, it will set you on fire. It'll roar out of you like a lion. It'll serve in you like an ox. It'll change the way you live as a man and God will start to speak through your life. Come on, somebody help me a little bit in this place this morning. I'm not crazy. I'm not out of my mind. I'm just outside of some of your minds. This Jesus is everything that he said he was. This morning, and we close this, the Gospel of Mark is so cool. It was the very first one that was ever written. It is the shortest of all of them, 16 little chapters. This is the eyewitness account of Peter as he tells it to a young man by the name of John Mark. The unique thing about Mark is that every time you open this, Peter is always on the scene. This is this this crazy, impetuous fisherman who laid down a business that had been in his family for generations and followed this crazy dude called Jesus. And Peter's a nut. He's crazy. He pulls crazy stunts. And I'm so thankful to God that Jesus saved Peter because if he can save somebody like Peter, I have a chance. He can do something in my life to touch this city. He can do something in my life for the sake of the kingdom of God. Two major sections broken into eight chapters each. The first eight chapters talk about how amazing the king is. The last eight chapters talk about where the king's headed to the cross. This morning, I close this message today. The unique thing about Mark, and I ask you to begin to read with me. Just open it up a few verses each day and say, Holy Spirit, teach me, show me. Try that little pronounce it method. Come Thursday night, and I'll give you a workbook free, no charge. I want to get you as excited about this Jesus that I love and this word that is so amazing, this gospel, this history-making, earth-changing, life-shaking news. Of the gospel of God. The thing about Mark that's unique is that it's an emphasis on action. Everything that Jesus does. The other gospels pay attention to parables and teaching. But Mark is all about Jesus did. He did. He did. He went here and he did this. And he healed that. And he raised that dead man. And he opened these blind eyes. And what I want to say to you as I close this service this morning. Is that I believe the same Jesus who did that when Mark wrote it down will also do that in your life and through your life today. I believe too many times we don't see the presence and the power of God moving because we don't preach that Jesus still does it and faith hasn't arisen in the hearts of people to reach up and take hold of the promise of God. So this morning as I close this service, as I close this message, this life-giving earth shaking, history-making gospel. It's the good news that nobody in this room has to work or earn or deserve a good favor and love and the acceptance of God. Jesus Christ has reversed the roles. God himself has shown up on the planet became a man and he showed and demonstrated his love by reversing the roles and laying down his life, serving and sacrificing himself for us, the many who were in bondage to the slavery of sin and he paid the ransom he paid the blood money for me. That's the gospel Not just for you individually, but for the whole creation, the whole planet, the whole created order. Bow your hearts with me. Everyone close your eyes, please. No one looking around. As we close this service this morning, I want to give everybody in here an opportunity to respond to this. I'm a town crier. Hear ye, hear ye. This is the good news. It's the history-making, life-changing, earth-shaking universe altering good news of Jesus Christ that it's not about advice for anything you do it's about news for what he has already done while we were yet sinners Christ died for us he comes and he offers the free gift today if you're trying to earn it it's called the wages of sin the devil is a faithful paymaster The wages of sin is death, but the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now in this room. I don't know if you're far from God, but the Lord is reaching to you with this amazing history-making good news. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you'd like to be included in this prayer and you're saying, Pastor, that's me. I desperately need some good news. If you just want to slip up your hand, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass anybody or call you to the front there. I see several hands around the room. This in this section, there's a couple over here and yes, anybody else? Anyone? Make this your prayer. Take these words and make them yours. Jesus, I trust you. Save me. Come into my heart, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I turn from my past. I turn to You in faith. Be Lord of my life. I want to follow You. I want to walk with You, Jesus. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank You for that in this place. Thank You for these hands that have raised this morning and they're crying out to You, O God, to this amazing news they've just heard, history-making, life-changing good news. Thank you that you reversed the roles and you came. Lord, we we rejoice with these men and these women, boys and girls this morning who've raised their hands to say, Jesus, be my Savior, be Lord of my life. We embrace them with open arms. Thank you, Lord, that you have the power to bring them into the body of Christ, to birth them, for them to be born again. You've given them a fresh start today. A, a A new life now flows out of them. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said. Put your hands together.